Hello and welcome to Surveyor Says, the podcast from the National Society of Professional Surveyors. Each week, we bring you fascinating guests that are involved in the profession of surveying. We cover a lot of ground, including table lay talk with Gary Kent, point of order with the NSPS Joint Government Affairs Team, future focus, highlighting current and future leaders of the profession, and everything survey-related in between. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Surveyor Says. Hello and welcome to another episode of Surveyor Says. This is uh, the continuing saga of Table A Talk. My name is Tim Birch and uh, I have the pleasure of sitting across the video camera from Mr. Gary Kent, the outgoing chair of the ALTA NSPS Land Title Survey Standards Committee. Um, like I said, we're not going to let him get away too far. We've got to still got to be able to pick his brain when we can. So one thing that's come up in conversation is, you know, we talked about these standards being an ever-changing standard, ever-living, uh, breathing document. However, the question is, and I think everybody has seen this that's been dealing with land title surveys, Gary, that every survey we see that says that it's land title survey, everybody's different. Now, granted, Platts of survey, everybody's got their own styles and, and things, but this is a very detailed standard. And so... I guess I'm asking from your perspective, from the committee's perspective, some of the things that should should show up on the survey besides what's, you know, I mean, obviously it's listed out here, but when we're talking about title issues, we're talking about table A things. Uh, what stands out as some of the things that really need to be depicted on this survey to make sure that the client is getting what they're asking for? Um, I guess table yeah. A is a good place to start. All right, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be back with you, Tim. And uh, I, I think it's a really good uh, question and uh, something for us to think about. Uh, you know, surveyors tend to be um, a lot of black and white, and uh, surveyors also don't like much to be questioned about things. They don't like it when somebody calls and says, hey, you know, I, I don't understand this or whatever. We can kind of get defensive. But I think there's a couple, um, you know, before I before I specifically answer the question, a couple of things that I think are very important. Uh, we're doing this survey uh, ultimately so that the title company has the information they need to remove the standard survey exception off of the survey. Uh, and the standard survey exception basically, um, to, to put it in uh, – in terms that uh, are, I guess, as as clear as I can, the standard title policy, um, title companies are responsible for what's in the public record, and um, and they're not responsible for stuff that could be observed on the property that might be a burden or an encumbrance on the title, right? So. So if there's an easement in the public record, they're responsible for that, right? They're going right. to say, hey, there's an easement, and, and everybody knows about it. But if there's no easement, and yet there's a row of utility poles cutting across the property, no electric line easement, but a row of utility poles, they don't have responsibility for that because nobody knows that's there right? Uh, unless it shows up on our survey. I, I shouldn't say nobody knows it's there. I mean, it gets a little more complicated than that. 
but they are not responsible for stuff that's out on the ground unless they have a survey that shows it. So our job out there is to, number one, reflect the stuff that's in the records that, that shows up in the title commitment, but also to be the eyes of all of these parties because, you know, nowadays what goes on? Let's say it's a, it's a, uh, some office building we're doing a land title survey on. It's owned by a hedge fund in San Francisco <laughs> yeah. and the buyer is an insurance company in Atlanta and the title insurance is being written out of Chicago and the, and the seller's attorney is in Seattle and the buyer's attorney is in uh, Nashville. Right. And none of those people are ever going to see this property. And so we are their their eyes. Right. And when I do a, a full blown land title survey program, I, I spend about an hour talking about title insurance and, you know, really what is going on mm -hmm. here so that we understand. And I think it's it's so it's very important that surveyors have an understanding. That's what we're doing out here and uh and so we want to be as helpful and as thorough as possible within the context of the standards uh to help people um, you know read the survey and understand what they're seeing so that they can look at it and say aha look at that royal utility polls you know and i don't see an easement we better mm -hmm. write an exception for that um, it's not up to the surveyor to necessarily point this stuff out you know a lot of lenders say you know right make us a, a table of encroachments well i don't like doing a table of encroachments because that's right. not my job my job is to show that rule of utility polls not tell them that that's a problem mm -hmm. uh, so you know but there's there's obviously a fine line there but i but i think the the important thing is that we understand ultimately what we're doing now we know that the the buyer's attorney is going to look at the survey and uh, and the lender is going to look at it very closely because obviously they don't want to loan the money if they see something that puts their their uh, money at risk. But but I, I think a lot of people have the idea this is just kind of a glorified boundary survey. No, it's it's not. It has a very definitive purpose. And uh, and, and so with that in mind, then we can look. Let's look at Table A. And uh, and talk about you know what can we do what are we doing on each item and and how can we present the information so it is most helpful. Um, now um, I mentioned in, in our last session, if I recall, about the fact that the wording of any table A item can actually be negotiated, and I think that's an important point here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the exact the exact way that it is addressed. Uh, so we keep that in mind. But uh, table item one is monuments. Okay, well, monuments are um, uh, in in some states they are not optional. In some states they are optional. If you are in my state of Indiana, uh, table A item one always gets checked off because we have to either set or find a monument or a witness on a boundary survey in Indiana. And uh, and land title surveys are a type of boundary survey. They are, they're not just a glorified boundary survey, they're a, a boundary survey to a very specific set of standards. Right. But uh, but an, a boundary survey nonetheless. And uh, and so in, in Indiana, unlike a lot of states who require monuments unless the client doesn't want to pay for them, uh, we don't have that option in Indiana, right? You, you either, 
set it or you're in, if set it, find it, or set or find a witness, or you are in violation of the law. Good. So, uh, so that's not an option. But you know, a negotiable thing. If you, people read it, it says monuments placed at all major corners of the um, of the boundary of the property. And I get people say, you know, what's a major corner? Well, you know, that's probably in the eye of the beholder. If it's a rectangular piece of property, there's four major corners. If mm -hmm. it's a, you know, if it's a property with with 33 corners. They're probably not all major, and I and I think that's uh, you know probably up to the surveyor to decide uh, what that is. But somebody might say, "But I want all of them set." You know, it's an option in my state, but I want all of them done. Okay, well that's fine. Uh, how do you deal with that? Well, you would have a legend that shows a a symbol, and it would say what that symbol indicates—a monument found or set or or whatever. Um, addresses, you know. It, I, I think the address is probably best dealt with maybe two different ways. One of them is if you have a, a structure on the property, you have a, a, a residence or a building, you know, within the confines of that building on the on the drawing, uh, you put the address right along with uh, what it is. So you know, four-story uh, brick office building, and then you know, 140 North Pennsylvania Avenue, Carmel, Indiana, whatever. Uh, you buy, I, I believe on our title block at Schneider, uh, the address of the property is actually in the title block also. We have the the address of the property there. Uh, that's probably not a huge big deal, but it's something, you know, I think along the lines of what we're talking about here, Tim, it's like, well, if they check the item off, if they want to know the address, let me make it easy for them to see where the address is, right? They shouldn't have to pick through the entire document to see where that is. And it also, um, on, I'll be honest with you, it also clarifies what is in title versus what is observed. We've had instances where the property we've surveyed may be 925 West Main, but it just, in the title, it might say something else, nine 919 or whatever. It's clarifying that what we're what we are surveying is in fact what we're talking about in title as well so it's a it's a quick check but it's nonetheless it's another check yeah um and of course anybody who's done surveys for title in the residential world know that 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 happens uh or it used to happen not that unusual where they would mm -hmm. send you an address and You'd be at that address. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, that's not the right property, or or even uh, you know, a, a probably one with addresses that is a little more um, takes a little more thought is like an apartment complex where there may be uh, 108 addresses mm -hmm. on that property, you know, and right. and how do you you know how do you deal with with that? And and I know we would deal with it by showing address on each building. But, exactly. Uh, uh, item three is on the flood zone. Well, uh, you know, we in Indiana, we have to write a surveyor's report and uh, and we put the flood zone as one of the items in the in the surveyor's report. But but, uh, you know, I think that is most logically dealt with a note that says flood note or, you know, uh, flood zone note or something to that effect. That, that's that's fairly well delineated so people can know where that that where that note is. And um it's normally, uh, and I'll apologize for my grandfather clock going off in the in the background. If anybody hears that, um, you know exactly what you put in your note is is a, probably a business decision. We uh, 
we have definitive wording that that we use uh, that includes a statement about uh, about map scale uncertainty mm -hmm. because of course we've all we've all been in a situation where we're uh, you know we're taking a one inch equals a thousand foot flood map and we're blowing it up to one inch equals 30 feet and then we're very precisely drawing that flood line on there which of course is a joke um, <laughs> right but uh, but you know flood note I think most people do that uh, uh, the land area uh, same thing I, I, I think what we would normally do is uh, somewhere on the property we have the identifying information who the owner is what the uh, deed record page are uh, and um, and maybe the address and then that's probably where we would put the uh, the area right there and um, you know but you know somebody might want to have a, a separate note I there are people who who believe and I don't I don't agree or disagree with this I, I, I guess I would say I'm kind of ambivalent about it um, every table I had is checked off there ought to be a note to that effect and, and that's probably actually not a bad idea so if they checked off item one, you would say uh, monuments set or found are indicated in the legend. Mm -hmm. And they check off item two, you would say 140 North Pennsylvania Street, Carmel, Indiana. And item three, you would put your flood note there. Item four, you would put the area uh, there. And then you would have item, you know, then maybe item five and you would simply say, uh, contours are shown and the, the datum is this and the benchmark was that. Uh, um, so I, I, I kind of like that idea. Uh, I don't, I, I've never actually done it, but, uh, but it's probably not a bad idea to think about, yeah, well, they checked off seven table A items. Well, let me just have a little section of my survey that, that lists those seven items and uh, with a statement about how it was addressed on the survey. Um, item six is uh, is an example of that, right? Item six A is when we are going to list the zoning classification setback requirements, height, floor, space, area restrictions, and parking requirement. Um, so I'm going to have some sort of note, and this would be a place where maybe having that list of items. Oh, here's item six A. What what did you do about that? Well, here's the zoning information I have, right? So you could maybe have a a section of your survey that says table A notes mm -hmm. and then and then list them like that. Uh, on 6A, <clears throat> I think it's very important that surveyors be very careful with this. Um, lenders often want surveyors to tell them whether there are any violations of the zoning. And uh, uh, my, my response to that is whether something is a violation is a legal determination, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 the maximum height allowed is 35 feet and the building is 40 feet. Is that a violation? I don't know. Uh, what I'm gonna tell you is the building's 40 feet, right? And mm -hmm. somebody else is gonna have to decide if that's a violation. Uh, but but uh, in particular on this item, uh, parking seems to be the one that's probably most common where the lender wants you to say, are there enough parking spaces? Right. right? Well, I'm just not going to go there. And I, and I am also not going to interpret the zoning ordinance. Uh, if it says, uh, if they say, well, how many parking uh, spaces are required? 
my answer is going to be in the context of the ordinance. So if the ordinance says at a restaurant you need uh, one space for every employee and uh, one space for each table in the restaurant, right? Right. Well, I'm not going to ask them how many people work there, and I'm not going to ask them how many tables there are. I'm going to say how many parking spaces are required, one for each employee and one for each table, right? right? And if right. they say, well, is that enough? I'm going to I don't know. That's your problem. That's, yes, not my determination. So, not, not my determination, yeah. Um, uh, 6B, it kind of speaks to itself, uh, but that's where we're going to depict the setback lines. And so if you had a set of notes on 6B, you would say the setback lines pursuant to the zoning report provided are shown here on or something to that effect. Um, uh, item seven, exterior dimensions of buildings, uh, the square footage, the measured height. Um, you know, again, you could just have a note that says, that, that responds to each of those items. Uh, 7A, exterior dimensions of buildings at ground level are indicated, uh, something to that effect. Um, item eight is an interesting one. We actually, uh, uh, Richard Bales, who is a, a, a wonderful uh, attorney, spent most of his career with Chicago Title, and now uh, he's with another title company up in the Chicago area. But he and I talked about um, Table A, Item 8, uh, several years back and said, you know, we ought, to, uh, we ought to just make this mandatory. I mean, for gosh sakes, everybody does it, right? We all show the sidewalks and the flagpole and the, and the, the uh, parking bumpers and the, the sidewalk, you know, the landscape areas. We all do that. Everybody does that. Um, and so we ought to just, yeah, and if you didn't, the client's going to say, hey, you know, you didn't finish the survey, right? Uh, so we said, we ought to just make that mandatory. Uh, but that immediately led to uh, the realization that if we do that, we would have to define what is a substantial feature. Right. right. And I'm going to respectfully decline to <laughs> to start that list of things. Uh, so we quickly decided, no, that, that has to stay as optional because then it, it's kind of up to each of us to to decide what's a, something that needs to be shown. Um, item nine, the number and type of parking spaces. Um, under the new standards, um, being of clearly identifiable parking spaces on surface lots, you know, what are they wanting to see? We're going to, we're going to draw the stripes. Well, this is where, Google Earth or, you know, getting a drone photography or something to that effect becomes really, really helpful. Uh, you're still going to have to count them, but, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, that one kind of is, uh, and, and in my note, I'm just going to say, you know, the striping on surface lots is shown and we counted 762 spaces of which, you know, four are motorcycle and three are electric or whatever right and we should i i want to clarify there as well that uh and i i'm hoping you'll agree with me here that nowhere in there does that uh identify and basically uh i will say certify that we have measured i mean we've measured those stalls and that they are all in conformance <laughs> with the the standard stall for whatever that municipality may be whether it's eight and a half nine nine foot wide depth whatever that has nothing to do with the measurement. Those are just physical spaces that are shown on the property. 
Yeah, that, that's a very important point because you will get lenders who try to coerce you into into certifying or saying something to the effect that yeah, they, these are <clears throat> these are all uh, compliant with the with the zoning. I, I, I'm not going to measure all of those. If they if they want me to, I will. That's going to cost them a boatload of money, and that's right. going to be an extra. Um, I I remember in particular a a, um, a shopping center. We have we've done a survey on it probably a dozen times over the last 35 years. And um, and at one point it was being sold and they wanted a, a parking count and we did and um, and they asked us to check and we checked and it was still that number and they said well but that's you know how how the lenders attorney can be well that's not enough spaces and I'm like well I don't I don't know what you expect me to do about it you know right and, and what ended up happening was they said uh, well today's Friday uh, we want you to go back out on Monday and count them again. Like, okay, well, whatever. Well, over the weekend, they paid somebody to go out there with a paintbrush and some white paint and just just painted some parking spaces behind the building, right? Oh, well, they weren't even, you know, they weren't even remotely compliant or anything, but but there they were, you know, and so we're like, okay, there's seven new spaces. Now we can say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you have to be, uh, you have to be very careful what lenders want you to put, you know, they used to want you to certify to it. And I, I think we've mostly gotten away from that, but they want notes now. And you know, they want to note that the parking is compliant or that there's no violations of this or that. You have to think very carefully before you uh, just respond uh, kind of blindly to some of these requests. You know, can you actually say what, what they're wanting you to say? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, item 10, and I, 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 people will note that there used to be a 10A and a 10B. Uh, which was uh, 10A was uh, the determination of the relationship of party walls and, and uh, 10B was uh, plumbness of certain walls. And uh, the whole plumbness thing has been a, a, a wacky thing. And I, I'm sure you've run into it, 10P. They'll, they'll mm -hmm. check that off and they're supposed to say to us, we're concerned about the south face of that building, <clears throat> but they don't, right? They you just know, check it off, do. <laughs> and they and they don't even recognize probably what what they're saying. <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, and they're like, well, I don't know, you know, we just we just need that. Well, they don't need it. Um, uh, so what we did is we got rid of 10B. If somebody's concerned about the plumbness of a wall, then uh, then they can negotiate that on table item 20 and say, mm -hmm. hey, we're concerned that wall might be leaning. And of course, if it's a substantial lien, we probably should be showing it, you know, if it's close to a boundary line anyway. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, so on, on, on item 10, this is a determinative relationship, a determination of the relationship of, and location of certain uh, party division or party walls. And I, I would hasten to add actually that a party wall is a legal construct, right? A party wall is is technically a legal agreement between two properties as to a common wall. Um, now, I don't know that that's. I mean, ALTA obviously knows that, but but it's it's a little unusual, at least in my world, to actually see a party wall agreement. I mean, gosh, we do land title surveys in downtown areas all the time and uh, buildings that are abutted up against each other but we don't see party wall agreements that much uh, but that's why the item also says division wall so we're, in which case we're just talking about the physical relationship and um, 
and, and and you know a suggestion by the way in that regard particularly in a in a downtown area uh, would be to go up on the roof mm -hmm. because what, what uh, otherwise it, it, you know if it's a downtown area all you are able to see is perhaps the seam between the windows or between the buildings at street level right, right. and um, and and you know there may be a one foot gap between those two buildings, and they decided to just brick over it, uh, and you're not going to know what you're looking at unless you were to get access to go up on the roof and look at it. Now I'm not saying that you have to do that, but it might not be a bad idea to request access to get up and kind of see what things look like. Exactly, exactly. We've run across that uh, in in the in the in Chicago here that uh, that that has exactly happened. Um, We've places we've had places where there have been there have been basically gaps in between buildings that you could not determine from the front or back of the properties. That's a great point. Thanks for making that one. Yeah, uh, that was actually a suggestion made uh, by a friend of mine. We did a session uh, here in Indianapolis uh, last summer. Um, a number of us have just a lot of information in our heads about surveying in the Indianapolis area and said, you know what, we ought to get this out there and and share what we know about certain areas of the city and certain tricks of the trades. And uh, and that that uh, suggestion came up at that point. Uh, on table AM11, the, the uh, utilities. Uh, this one, you know, what would, what would need to be uh, helpful and placed on the face of the survey, in this case is probably more clear now than it, than it perhaps was before, but uh, one thing I would do, and I have mentioned before about uh, the note that follows Table A, Item 11. You know, it says note to the client, insurer, and lender, and it and it has information on, on there about how you know we're going to try to locate the utilities, and but if it's not excavated, you know the information is going to be you know not complete, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I would take that note and put it on the face of the survey. Absolutely, that, that's. Uh, uh, I said I, I would put it in my contract, and I put it on the face of the survey mm -hmm. um, uh, because you know people check this item off and they think they're going to get accurate, complete, and reliable information. And and every surveyor knows that unless they excavate the entire site, that just is not happening. Right. So we 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 want to do what we can to control to manage their expectations there. And that's probably the most important thing you could do on item 11. Now, uh, on 11A, <clears throat> the choice, you know, the uh, the uh, choice is that we would you rely on plans or reports provided by the client. Okay, well, if they check that off, then I'm going to have a note that says, "Here's the plans that they provided." I'm going to say who provided them on what date, and and I'm going to identify the documents that were provided so that I'm protecting myself. Perfect. Um, and then uh, 11B is the markings, you know, on a u private utility locate request. So we would talk about um, that sort of thing. One of the things <clears throat> that we have done at our company is uh, if we got a hold of plans, uh, and I, I don't know that this is still going on. <clears throat> it should be, and I would suggest it to everyone. We used to create our own little utility report, hmm. and it would have a cover. Then we'd say. We made an 811 locate request. Here's the number. Here's who responded. Here's what we heard. Uh, here's what we found. And we got uh, a, its plans. And we would actually copy the plans and put them in this report. So the client had 100% of the same information that we had. 
and uh, and I kind of I kind of still like that idea. Um, item twelve. This is government agency uh, survey related requirements. It might be a HUD survey. It might be Fannie Mae. Uh, might be a, a wind farm lease on BLM land. Um, uh, you know, we would want to we would want to make sure people understood that that there were other requirements that were involved here, and so we could put a note like that on there. Uh, item thirteen: names of adjoining owners. Uh, you know. We just we just kind of delineate where those adjoining owners are, maybe where the dividing line is, um, to the best of our ability, and then we just put the name of the adjoining owner with the uh, with their uh, uh, deed record information. And mm -hmm. um, and by the way, we have a requirement now that those adjoiners that that include a tax parcel number. Right. <clears throat> Good. Uh, item 14, um, you know, distance to the nearest intersecting street. This is one I think that it, it's such a simple requirement. What it's got, uh, you know, 10 words, 11 words in there. But, you know, but what is it they're looking for? Is this, you know, is this related to being able to get a driveway permit? Is it, you know, what is this about? And are they interested in how far it is to the center line of the adjoining street? or to the, or not the adjoining street, but the nearest street, or to the right-of-way line, in which case I may have to do some survey work 800 feet away to determine with some level of precision where this is. I, I suspect most of us, it's like, well, you know, I go to Google Earth and it's, you know, it's 840 feet down to the center line. And so we maybe just put a dimension 800 plus or minus 840 feet to the right. center line of 22nd street. Um, but uh, again, you know, if you if you formatted a a series of table A notes, then you could put that information right there, and uh, and I think that would actually not be a bad way to do that. Item fifteen is an important one, and this is the one where someone might decide to uh, uh, use. Uh, maybe they say, yeah, I don't need all you know, to to do all of this stuff on the ground. We can. You know, we can uh, show the buildings based on uh, some rectified ortho photography that we have. I'm like, okay, well, but we need to talk about this because you're going to see the roof line, not the building, mm -hmm. and and you're there's going to be shadows, and you're not going to see all the utility features that you might have seen on the ground. And but if everybody's fine with it, I mean, if the lender and the title company and the and the client and the buyer uh, are all fine with it, then you know, who am I to argue? And, and I can uh, invoke this item, but the, you know, the requirement here is discuss the ramifications ahead of time, including the precision and completeness, and then have a note uh, on the face of the survey. So on item 15, the note would be, you know, certain information came from this source on this mm -hmm. date. And, um, and, you know, the precision expected precision is this and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I, I think item 15 is an important note. If you go that way on the survey, there's some important information that needs to be on there. You know, is that something that we've noticed in the Chicago area? Um, some of the surveys that we've had to do in the last couple of years, um, turning golf courses into industrial parks. And well, yeah, when you're doing a, when you're doing an Alta survey over a golf course and you've got uh, restroom facilities and, 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 various things that are out in the middle of nowhere and cart paths and things. 
yeah, I think this is ripe for, and we use uh, aerial photography for this. Um, but like you said, it has to be negotiated and it has to be uh, explained in the note that this was the, this was the expectation. This was the, the tolerances we used. Um, did it save a lot of time? Absolutely. Uh, was it, you know, were we showing, showing a restroom facility in the middle of a golf course uh, within a, a reasonable tolerance? Absolutely. Versus running a traverse out there to shoot something underneath a tree. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. That's a, that's a very important that we need to make sure that we, we document that very well. Yeah. Again, again, control, you know, managing their expectations. Exactly. Um, you know, 16 and 17 were HUD items and, uh, uh, those are probably good ones for notes also. Uh, evidence of recent earth moving work, building construction, building additions. Uh, sometimes surveyors will say to me, you know, well, what is recent? I'm like, well, you know, put yourself in my shoes. I, I can't define what recent is. Oh, oh, that's three months. Okay, well, if it's three months in one day, then I don't have to worry about it, right? Well, uh, you know, what I tell surveyors is if uh, if it looks recent, whatever that means, or if you're concerned about it, then, then put a note on it. It's not going to hurt anything. You know, right. looks like there was a building addition put on the, on the building in the last year, you know, or whatever. Um, but I think this would be a really good example of a note that you could put on your table, a notes with regard to item 16 uh, did not. Now, you know, these types of notes you'd be careful about too, because you don't want to say there is no evidence of mm -hmm. this, right? That That's not the statement you want. What <laughs> no. the statement you want is we did not observe any evidence of. Exactly. Right? Nice. That can be a true statement. Uh, somebody might complain and say, well, you should have observed it. And, and, and you know, then there, then you might have a normal standard of care question. But if you say something wasn't there, that's a different statement than saying that you didn't observe something there. Right. Uh, item 17 uh, is one that's a little bit different. And this is this would cause us to have to contact a jurisdiction and say, uh, in a city of any size, they probably have some sort of thoroughfare plan. I know Indianapolis does, and it's online. So if I'm serving on 71st Street, I can go to the thoroughfare plan and it says, well, the plan is that 71st Street's gonna be 120 feet wide with four lanes sometime. Mm -hmm. Then I just put a note on that says, you know, the thoroughfare plan says this. Um, it, 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 but, uh, you know, it, it causes me to have to do a little research and uh, and the note becomes, I think, fairly obvious. Uh, the thoroughfare plan online at this link says this, or or I talked to uh, to Street Commissioner Tim Birch, and uh, on on uh, Monday, January 11th, and he told me this. Mm -hmm. Right. right. Um, uh, item 18, uh, we reworded item 18 a little bit, uh, trying to make it clear, and I don't know that we hit the target or not, but what item 18 is is suggesting is that if there's an offsite easement, on a, and this would typically be an easement that's listed in Schedule A of the title commitment, where, where you'd have the fee parcel, it's this five-acre parcel, but then there's this 50 foot wide access easement that goes out the back and, and goes out to, 
you know, Meadowbrook Avenue, uh, the title company will insure that easement also. And, and so typically, uh, these would be insured easements. Uh, and what we're trying to, to get uh, to explain with table A item 18 is that we are, they check that item off. I'm going to treat that easement like a fee parcel. So everything that applies to the rest of the, of, of, that I would do on the fee parcel, I'm going to do on that easement, right? Show the evidence of this and that. And uh, the only thing we're not going to do is monument it. Uh, and so, um, you know, with regard to that item, I think the important thing there, by the way, is uh, is to have a conversation with the client. If you are serving a fast food restaurant out in front of a mall, there's probably cross parking and cross access easements over the entire mall, which means your fee just went from 8,500 to 85,000 because you have to survey the whole mall. And I'm fairly certain that's not what they had in mind, right? So you want to look at that and, you know, along those same lines, if they want you to do that item, but you don't have a title commitment yet, mm -hmm. you, you better qualify your proposal because it may turn out there's five offsite easements and you didn't have any money in there for that. Yes, uh, exactly. So, uh, you know, what you would do with item 18, if you had your set of notes is you would say, I, I, what I would do is list the offsite easement, well, this 50 foot access easement and this uh, sanitary lateral easement are, are shown here on something to that effect and, and were included as part of the survey. Uh, and that gets us to the last item 19, uh, which is, uh, it's not related to title insurance, but we realized a number of years ago that there was a major disconnect that virtually all attorneys thought that all surveyors carried professional liability insurance. I, I gave a number of programs where the attorneys were shocked when I said that they don't. And so uh, mm -hmm. uh, NSPS and ALTA decided, you know, if that, if that is, that's a, that's a pretty big problem if people don't realize that and we, maybe we should give them the option to require that. So that's the history of this. Now, what was happening prior to 2016 is that lenders were doing things like telling uh, Tim, you need to list the extent of your E&O coverage on the face of your survey. You know, right. well, I got $2 million worth of coverage. I don't know who wants to put that on their survey because that would just seem like an invitation. Um, and I, I, I swear I would, I would have told the attorney, well, send me a letter with the extent of your coverage, by the way. I want to, I want to know that. Exactly. Um, yeah. So we actually, in 2016, we talked with ALTA about this and I, I had said, you know what, I would like to, to say that this item need not be addressed on the face of the platter map. And, uh, and one of the ALTA attorneys said, uh, it sounds to me like what you ought to say is this item shall not be addressed on the face of the platter map. Uh, and there's that word shall, by the way, but, but we, we left that in there that way. And, and so that if that item gets checked off uh, as a surveyor, you need to respond to it, right? Uh, provide them a, uh, a, 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 an email that says, I have this much coverage or a copy of a certificate of insurance. Right. Uh, but other than that, you do not have to have anything uh, on the face of the survey. You don't even have to list item 19 as one of the table A items. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, for God's sakes, if they have a certificate of insurance, what more do they need? Exactly. So, um, 
Exactly. So, and then of course, if you had an item 20, you'd want to have a, a pretty specific note about that. So, uh, so I think those are the, you know, those are kind of the considerations and what people are looking for and the things we ought to be thinking about when it comes to the table A items and how we react to them. And, and again, I'll go back where I started on this kind of long answer was, I, you know, I want to be helpful. I want uh, title companies, and they do, uh, in Indianapolis, uh, title companies in Indianapolis have told me any number of times, like, oh, we saw it was a Schneider survey, so we knew it would we'd be fine. Right. right? That's, that's the kind of reputation you want so that uh, you want to be helpful, you want to be knowledgeable, you want to understand what's important to them so that you are their surveyor of choice, and when they need expertise, they they contact you. Um, and, and I think that's such an important thing for us. Exactly. Well, that's one thing I always stress to not just staff here, but, uh, you know, contemporaries. Uh, this is a national standard that just because the locale you're working in, your normal standard of care may not address, you know, especially, you know, uh, a rural based surveyor look at this and go, well, number 10, I mean, uh, party walls. That means nothing to me. Well, it does to somebody somewhere. So mm -hmm. don't just discount a lot of these things because it doesn't fall into your purview. This is a national standard and make sure that whatever is applicable to your standard of care and your, your area, make sure that it's addressed and provide the best possible service and information to your client bottom line. So, um, no, I appreciate you going over these because I think there's always some confusion on how should we uh, explain what we did. And uh, I, like, I like how you've ran through them and uh, hopefully uh, our listeners do as well. Yeah, let's hope so. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this episode. Uh, and once again, we appreciate Gary sharing his wealth of information on uh on everything uh, ALTA, NSPS, Land Title Survey standards. Um, we will be back to bug you again, Gary, sometime in the very, very near future, because like I said, this is a living, breathing document, and uh, who better to ask the questions than uh, Mr. Gary Kent? So, uh, oh, I, I appreciate it, and I'll look forward to it, Tim. All right. Well, that's it for us. We'll wrap it up here. We'll talk to everybody again. See you very soon. Thank you. You've been listening to the Surveyor Says Podcast, brought to you by the National Society of Professional Surveyors. If you have any questions about today's episode or any other topic, please email us at info at nsps.us.com, and we are here to help. Visit our website, nsps.us.com, to learn more about our association, the programs we administer and support, our sustaining members, and information about future episodes of Surveyor Says. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as our podcast host, Podbean. And remember, it's a great day to be a surveyor.